Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Design of Experience. Apparently, it is by design. 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 Experience. Conversations about the ideas that make us feel a tribal devotion to the things we love. So last week, we ushered in the first episode of season two with the idea of brand mindfulness. And we knew right away when we started thinking about this topic that we would need several episodes to really dig in. Today, we're going to be talking specifically about developing brand mindfulness. So let's jump in. Nature centers into balls and her proud ephemerals fast to surface and outside scan the profile of the sphere. Knew they what that signified? A new genesis were here. What is brand mindfulness and why are we talking about it? Sounds like a load of fluffy marketing jargon to me. It's not, Matt. It's not. You know why? Because your brand is having a moment, people. Every last one of them, every single brand is having a moment and you won't know the moment you're in if you don't have this ongoing discipline as part of your organization. Wait, 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 wait. Okay, my first exposure to mindfulness was via readings in Zen Buddhism. D.T. Suzuki, Alan Watts, so on. And the idea is very simple. It's be aware of yourself in the present moment. Don't think too much into the future, too much into the past, but also thinking about how your actions affect other people. My question is, sure, it works for people. How does it work for brands? Steve, when would you say is your kind of light bulb moment for this as we've been working with clients and kind of in our own evolution as a company, what even made you come to intersect this idea of mindfulness with brands? Yeah, it goes back to my sales pitch that your brand is having a moment. And I think that came from, you know, spending time with different executives as they're thinking through their company or whether you're a small business owner, whatever, realizing the changes that are constantly coming. How do you navigate that change? And I thought about the U2 song. I don't know if you guys are U2 fans at all, but definitely they have a song stuck in a moment. I won't sing it. No, please do. Well, then you got to get yourself together. You got stuck in a moment and you can't get out of it. Anyway, you've got to get yourself together. You've got stuck in a moment and now you can't get out of it. Whether or not you're stuck, you are in a moment. And that's true for us as individuals. That's true for all businesses of shapes and sizes. And it's true for enterprise level brands. And so figuring that moment out and, and developing the practice of being aware of it and being ready to make changes is not automatic. It's very easy to confuse some things here. And I think that's partly because we're trying to develop this as a concept, right? Brand mindfulness. But then at the same time, for years, we've been hearing about social responsibility. Right now, at least, sort of phase one brand mindfulness is not really about that. It's more about just understanding who you are and knowing when you have to react, change, adjust. Am I wrong? You're not wrong. 
Yeah, and I think if you look at social responsibility, like a quick definition straight from Wikipedia. Social responsibility is an ethical framework and suggests that an entity, be it an organization or individual, has an obligation to act for the benefit of society at large. That might be just one expression of brand mindfulness, and it's a very targeted result. It's benefiting society at large. So the focus is society, whereas the focus of brand mindfulness is starting with the brand and its core purpose and asking what is the natural expression of that purpose based on the current moment. And it might be an act of social responsibility, right? but it's not always social responsibility. Yeah, that's a thing, but it's not really what we're talking about right now. It's that, you know, that's the, if you're, if you're trying to develop sustainable practices, you know, you're greening your company or you're trying to, you know, develop a better life for your workers or you're aware of the carbon footprint that you have when you build a factory, all that stuff. That's not what we're talking about here. To me, the idea of brand mindfulness, it really is the synthesis of your company's original offering or reason for existence with the realities that the current market will support. We talk about common market indicators, top line revenue, profit margin, stock prices, employee and client retention. How do you match all of that with the ethos of your brand, your purpose, the why of what you do and who you are? It's simply your company's ikigai. Ikigai is a Japanese concept that means a reason for being. The word refers to having a direction or purpose in life. That which makes one's life worthwhile. What does the world need that you are good at and love doing? And what can you get paid for? And that seems rather obvious, but for companies that want to scale, they have to remain in touch with that reality. There has to be enough awareness, presence of mind, mindfulness to understand how to navigate even when the market shifts underneath your feet. Emily, last episode, you talked about Kodak. They didn't navigate the moment very well. Blockbuster didn't navigate the moment very well. Netflix did. Netflix realized they had the opportunity to provide content. Blockbuster thought they were in the DVD and VHS rental business. And when the bottom fell out of those industries, they didn't know where to go next. So I think that's just something to keep in mind. Permanence is a word of degrees. Everything is medial. The key to every man is his thought. Sturdy and defying though he look, he has a helm which he obeys, which is the idea after which all his facts are classified. To me, it sounds like phase one of brand mindfulness is just understanding, one, we are always in a moment. Two, that moment changes and sometimes we get threatened. So you might move into survival mode like so many small businesses right now. I'm thinking about restaurants and bars, bookstores, record stores. You know, they're all changing. Marketing agencies. Yeah, yeah, they're all changing how they do business. We are in a moment right now. It's COVID-19 moment. A couple brands did some interesting things 
graphically, design-wise. You know, McDonald's took the arches, spread them apart, and said, okay, social distancing, get on it, do it. The Olympics did the same thing. I don't know if it was the brands or just designers riffing on it, but it was received very poorly because I think people felt like it was yet another example of tone deafness. At the same time, Shake Shack. Mm, Shake Shack, I haven't done that so long. I know, I know. Well, I think they were being very mindful when earlier this week, or maybe it was late last week, they said, okay, thanks U.S. government for, you know, our stimulus funding, but hey, we're doing okay. We're going to give it back. There was also some blowback uh, against a number of companies that how do you claim to have fewer than 500 employees? How in the world are you considered to be a small business? But yeah, good on them for recognizing that. And I think that is a level of mindfulness that's critical. I do event planning, um, mostly food and wine events. I think there's kind of a stigma around the word beautiful, feeling confident and really like using that word about yourself. We should put more energy on the things that we do like about ourselves as opposed to the things that we don't. The Dove campaign, they changed the definition of what it means to be beautiful. They were the first that I can remember of a cosmetic or personal care company to go in market with advertising that really de-stereotyped or took the definition of ideal and shifted it from a certain body type to what makes you feel beautiful. Because if you understand yourself to be beautiful, you are. One, they embraced body positivity, and that was not only just in terms of body shapes and so on, but also just what is the definition of beauty. The specific campaign I'm thinking about right now, given that it's the COVID-19 moment, the tagline is, courage is beautiful. And it is a photo of an ER nurse, and she has scarring on her face from wearing a mask for whatever, 16, 18 hours. And it has her name, Amanda. So I think that's a really frank way of saying, you go do your thing, all of you health workers. You're what humanity is depending on. It was really a risk to do this because there could have been backlash. People could have been saying, okay, great, you took some photos, cool, and you're just trying to profit off of this pandemic. But I think something about the photography and how real and gritty and painful it is to look at, at the same time, Google the images. These folks really are beautiful, and I think part of it is that they are working themselves to the bone to try and save lives. If we think about how Dove expresses brand mindfulness through messaging, which is one of many ways that brands express their core reason for existing. Dove has always done a lot of big advertising, whether it's commercials or print ads and magazines. So they knew that was one of their channels of communication. And if they think about how their expression of brand mindfulness comes through, those are huge avenues for them. If you look at their evolution of their photography choice, their messaging choice, the campaigns that they run, it has changed drastically over the past five to 10 years. And like Matt was saying about this idea of not putting, I guess, commonly accepted forms of beauty in their imaging and instead saying our purpose for existing 
is to help you be the best version of yourself. And I think they kind of questioned themselves and were like, how can we say we are here to help you create the best version of yourself if the best version of yourself is already defined? The moment they realized is we are not selling soap. We are selling an understanding of who people are. We are selling the way they feel when they use our products. And so understanding that first allowed them to easily tweak their message instead of cutting out a huge portion of their buying audience by limiting that message to a certain type of person. They basically said, our products are for everyone. That was the moment they recognized, if we keep selling soap, we're not gonna make it. We are selling something much bigger than soap. And that moment, that understanding of what we're selling, the business that we're in, allows us to tweak our message as needed because the market's going to shift. And pretty soon people don't care. What if this body type goes out of style or other body types come into style? You know, what if we're only marketing to slender Anglo women when that's not the world we're living in? That's not good business. It's not a very aware brand. Assuming that you are very anchored and close to your reason for existing, this brand mindfulness allows you to observe the greater market. Like you were saying, Steve, previously they're just thinking about like hygiene, soap. But when you take a look outside of that immediate ring of your current industry and you look wider into the world and what is going on, Dove basically partnered with the stock photo industry and they decided they were going to start an initiative called Project Show Us to build the world's largest stock photo library to shatter beauty stereotypes. So who would have thought that a soap company would have gotten into the stock photo industry, but they were mindful of who their customers were, who they were serving that larger vision. And they were like, if we're really here to expand the vision of beauty and who people are, then we shouldn't limit ourselves to soap and we can do something for the better of everyone. And stock photography was a huge industry. The new position of the advancing man has all the powers of the old, yet has them all new. It carries in its bosom all the energies of the past, yet is itself an exhalation of the morning. For individuals, for brands, large and small, you have to go into this discussion assuming you are already very closely aligned to your reason for existing. We have already talked about that a ton in season one, and we have to have some self-control because we as a company could talk about this forever. As we jump into this application, I'm not going to talk about that. I'm going to assume that you already know your brand's reason for existing and you're very closely aligned to that. I want to make sure that people don't get mistaken that this isn't just advertising methods. It's any kind of action that you're taking steered from the idea that you know your purpose for existing. Matt, I think in a lot of our experience with clients, there's one thing that we always test the waters with. So what's kind of the first thing that we always share with people, like right when they jump into this concept? They have to be really brutally honest with themselves. I started at point X on the grid. There was this growth and I moved up and there was this nice movement from X increment to Y. Okay, that's great. But five years down the road, is what you're producing still relevant? And if it's not, you need to take a time out. You know, like when parents say to kids, 
you're just wound up beyond belief. You're so involved with yourself that you don't see what your actions are doing to the people around you. And I think that's not even just blindness to what your business is providing, but how's it affecting the team? And it's hard as an inventor or an originator of an idea, a concept, you build up a lot of pride in that. To be able to look at the current situation five years, seven years into the hall, and to say to yourself, it's time for change. That takes a lot of guts and a lot of humility. And I think that is a concept that is very much woven into mindfulness on an individual level, and it has to happen on the brand level. If you haven't decided before the moment of decision, you know, when you're forced into this, if you haven't fostered a culture where that honesty and that ability to reflect as an organization exists, where people are allowed to disagree, where there is robust debate. It's really hard to spin it up from nowhere. So I think, you know, that's why we kind of would advocate this becoming part of a brand's ethos, you know, a regular return to purpose and the ability to discern the moment that you're in. By the way, depending on the size of your company, the decision makers in this process could be as high up as the C-suite or even board of directors. I mean, for marketers, we're after the right story that authentically represents our brand to our buyers. But for those in charge of the strategic oversight of the enterprise, this speaks to the strategic direction and sustainability of the entire business. We're not being naive, you know, you listening might say, well, that's really well that I, you know, it's fine that I finally figured out our companies in a moment, but I don't make these calls. We're acknowledging that, but it goes to the top and through every part of the organization, just like your brand does. What Matt just said about that brutal honesty, about asking yourself if you're truly able to let go, all of those things, that's like getting into brand mindfulness. It's foundational. Yeah, it's foundational. Are you ready for this? We can't just give you like three steps and be like, here you go. Because if there is no foundation to start digging in, like Matt talked about, you're not going to get very far. So assuming you've set that foundation of a willingness to jump into this whole thing and know that it's going to be uncomfortable and that some ugly stuff might come out. And before you execute on brand mindfulness, the first thing you need to do is observe your surroundings. We kind of think of this in concentric rings that expand outward. Life is a series of surprises. We do not guess today the mood, the pleasure, the power of tomorrow when we are building up our being. Our life is an apprenticeship to the truth that around every circle another can be drawn. The first thing is looking at yourself and asking, am I willing to give up what we've done before for something new? Am I willing to be someone who inspires the team to lead this way? culture is passed down through a leader's actions and words. You have to ask yourself, are you fully in? Because if you're not, it's going to be obvious that you're not totally buying in. And like Matt always emphasizes and always reminds me, am I willing to stay calm instead of reactive in the midst of inevitable challenges? It's always a good reminder to me because for some reason that's not my strong suit. I preach that, but man, I torture myself. (laughs) The next concentric ring working outwards is looking at the team around you, whether that's your immediate team or the larger team of the brand, whatever, just look one ring out and ask, can we listen to every employee? Can we truly listen to every employee and invite their input? Has that culture been set up? 
that that is something that people know is part of how you operate, that everyone has listened to. And in that same vein, look at your churn and burn with team members. Is there a reason people stay for a while? Is there a reason people don't? Not looking at that just from an HR kind of numbers perspective, but again, it being a reflection of your brand's reason for existing, how much it's really permeating the team, the company, and asking how that reflects the environment of what's going on. We need to gauge the environment. We need to gauge the health of what's going on to know if you can accurately look outside of yourself. So we have to do that internal diagnosis. Next thing, one more ring outward. Look at your clients. Looking at your top five clients, what does them choosing to do business with you reveal? Are your reasons for existing aligned? What is it about them that makes them great clients? Do you have a shared purpose? Looking at that is a great reflection of your brand. Looking out again, looking at your industry and competitors. What do people love about your industry right now? What do they notoriously dislike? When people are hating on your competitors, it's like free research. There's always been times throughout the past where different industries get the spotlight, either for fantastic things or not so great things. Dove addressed the industry of beauty by redefining it. And assess once again why you are in the industry you are in and take a look at other industries that might be unexpected fits. And finally, on a world perspective, how can your reason for existing meet people's needs in their thriving or suffering? I just got an email from Starbucks earlier this week, and they basically said, hey, we have always loved our customers and them coming into our cafes, but right now they're closed. So we're going to take our distribution network and we're going to support Feeding America because we know that you love community and we know that you love being together. So we're going to continue that idea of supporting community. We're just going to do it a little different through an infrastructure we already have. So there's concentric circles. You look at yourself. Are we willing to give up something we've done for something new? You look at your team and make sure you're listening to every employee and measuring churn and burn. You look at your clients evaluating your top five customers. Why did they choose to do business with you? How are you aligned? And look at the churn and burn in your client base. And then look at your industry competitors. What do people love about your industry right now? What do they notoriously dislike? And free research when you look at what they dislike about your competitors. And then finally, how are people in the world currently thriving and or suffering? And what does what you do have to do with that? How can you be a part of that and a participant of that global community? We don't want to make any of this sound too businessy at all. It's one of those things that's so simple that it's hard. But the idea, again, is just taking a moment to pause and thinking about yourself and your surroundings. And all these different concentric circles we spoke about don't have to be done every single time. That's a lot of work. But when you think that this is available to you on all these different levels, you can ask yourself, depending on which moment that you're in, which one of these do I need to pay attention to? This brought to mind something I read a long time ago. Ralph Waldo Emerson, transcendentalist. Mm. One of the most beautiful essays I've ever read was called Circles. And it killed me because you guys formed as concentric circles. And so anyway, the beginning is the eye is the first circle. The horizon which it forms is the second. And throughout nature, this primary figure is repeated without end. It's beautiful, and I mm-hmm. think it, it speaks to that 
notion of mindfulness, whether it's mm-hmm. individual or on a brand level. So I've been looking for just a magical thing to happen. And <laughs> that was it for me. So I'm done for the week. The eye is the first circle. The horizon which it forms is the second. And throughout nature, this primary figure is repeated without end. It is the highest emblem in the cipher of the world. The Design of Experience is produced by 15.4, a creative agency located in Charm City, Baltimore, Maryland. Produced by Emily Wolf, engineered by Josh Frisch, and edited by Sam Otto. With story and creative development by Matt DeVille and Steve Smallman.